Hello and welcome to The Pain Cave. My name is Jay Friedman. I am your host in The Pain Cave and I am very excited to be joined once again by my partner in crime, the Fulham Flyer, the Shawangunk Express, the Maggie Guterell to my Maggie May, Phil Vondra. Phil, welcome back. Thanks, Jay. It's always good to be back in The Pain Cave. I never have as much fun as when I'm sitting here with you. Before we get started recapping the most recent results and news in the ultra world, what are we drinking this evening? This is a starting line brewing company, Hopload, an IPA. Um, it's yes, yeah, a regular IPA, not a double IPA because we wouldn't want you uh, falling off your chair. No, it's, we'll start it's with this. we're pre-dinner right now, so I need to be uh, careful there. Yeah, pop that open. There you go. That's the sound we like. Yeah, here you got that. Thank you. All right. So what we are doing again tonight uh, for new listeners or those who haven't been here for a while, this is our more or less monthly recap of trail and ultra news. And uh, we do have some interesting results to talk about. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, it looks very nice. Oh, that's pretty good. That's really nice. It's not yeah. the best thing I've ever had, but it's good. Well, it's not like a, a, a true northeast style. It's more a sort of a, a, a west coast, east coast right, kind of style, right. in my opinion. Start line, that's from um, Hopkinton, so named because of the start line of the Boston Marathon. All right, yep. So, cheers. So, you know, we're late October right now. This is a little bit of the doldrums or the kind of late season. Uh, we've obviously gone through the big races of the summer. The Grand Slam is over. The, all the major European series have kind of wrapped. And, uh, you know, there's little smaller, medium-sized races here and there. And, and we're still waiting to ramp up at the very end of the year for kind of the big or bigger year-ending type races, such as North Face 50, obviously, which will be coming up in about a month. Desert Solstice, where we're going to see, I think, some really good 100-mile and 24-hour performances. JFK, obviously, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, ultras in the country. Brazos Bend, where we've seen a lot of fast times in recent years. So that's all about a month, three to five weeks away. And that'll be kind of the last major push for the 2018 season. But we did want to touch on a couple of things because it's been a little while since our last episode. And we did want to touch on a couple of recent happenings because, as I said, even though it's not kind of the heat of the season right now, there have still been some good things going on and interesting things to talk about. And top of the list, I think we should just get it out of the way and start with Big's Backyard Ultra, which was, for the second year in a row, just kind of out of left field, one of the best shows in ultra running. Absolutely. I mean, what what an event. I mean, this thing is just, you know, it's like a, a snowball rolling down the mountain. It's just gaining momentum all the time. I mean, how exciting. I mean, how many times did you hit the refresh button on that thing? I mean, I just tried to kill time between... <laughs> Every four, you know, yeah, every exactly. hour, every forty on the hour. I was like, "What am I going to do between this in this hour?" So, for for anyone out there who might not know exactly what Biggs is, this is another crazy brainchild from Lazarus Lake, aka Gary Cantrell, the brains behind brains. I don't know if brains is the right word behind the Barkley marathons and several other interesting races, including. Run for the Ages, which I don't know if you know about that one. We can just talk a little bit about it. That was a few months ago, but it's another interesting format. So Big's Backyard Ultra, which is named after after Laz's dog, Big Dog, is basically a last man standing. And I think it may be the 
the originator of the last man standing, at least from from my understanding. I, I think a lot of the the last man standing events that have kind of popped up in the last few years have really come as a kind of direct descendant of Biggs. Yeah, it looks that way, a kind of spin-off. And it's in, uh, is it Bell Buckle, Tennessee? I think mm-hmm. is where he where I think he it's on his property, right? Yeah, it yeah. is, yep. Through, so, the, through the trail in his property and then out on the, uh, the road in front of his, his house. So there are a couple of different uh, variations on the last man standing theme. Biggs is a, a very simple one. It's a just over four-mile loop, 4.16 miles, I believe. And you have to run it every hour. There is no banking time. There is no running extra during each hour you basically have to complete that loop each hour and if you want to continue you have to be on the starting line the subsequent hour for when that starts and that hour time period is fixed so the way that some last man events will kind of keep the time frame to a reasonable amount is by having slowly decreasing uh segments in which you can run the 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 distance so you might have you know, a four-mile loop, and you might start it an hour and then cut it down each lap by a minute, and eventually you'll just get to a point where nobody can run it as fast as you need yep. to. Laz doesn't really care about that. He just wants to see people suffer. So it's an hour. You always have an hour, but you must start at the beginning of each hour. So this event has been going on for quite some time. The previous course record until last year was 204 miles, or uh, 49 hours, because the Laz has worked out the distance of each lap so that 24 hours will be exactly 100 miles. And in 2014, two runners completed the 49-hour, 204-mile distance. And then Johan Steen from Sweden actually had to leave to catch his flight home and had to beg off at that point. And uh, the runner who he was competing with at that point, whose name escapes me at the moment, graciously said he, he would also stop running at that point rather than run the next lap that would have been required for him to win. And so they, they shared the, the victory. And that record stood until last year when Harvey Lewis, the former U.S. 24-hour champ, multiple-time Badwater champ, got together with Guillaume Calmetes, and they went for 59 hours, I believe. I think it was 59, yep. Until Harvey finally had to tap out and Guillaume was the, the winner on the 59th uh, lap. I think actually Harvey started that 59th lap and uh, he had turned to, back, he turned back yeah. about a mile in. So it's 4.16 miles. It's uh, a trail loop during the day. And after dark, they do what sounds like an out and back on a dirt road. Yeah. And I think the trail loop has like 700 feet of gain on it. Over, right. So over 4.167 miles is quite... Yeah, it's a decent bit of gain. Sure. It's uh, almost 200 feet per, per mile. Yeah. So it's it's not nothing, particularly after many hours. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. So last year, that, that race, I think, really captured the imagination of the ultra world, certainly for the first time since yeah. I've been following it over yeah. several years. It was a great write-up in uh, Trail Runner magazine. I mean, the whole thing is like people uh, drinking moonshine, barbecuing <laughs> brats. You know, it get. I think being a spectator is quite an endurance event as well. Right. I mean, it's definitely a party... I think in the way that Barclays is not kind of the same. It's, it's, it's a similar yeah. mindset in terms of just this self-imposed suffering and just, you know, forcing yourself to go out again and that sort of thing. But you're seeing the people, obviously, you're seeing your runners every hour as opposed to every 14 hours. And I think it does, it breeds kind of this carnival atmosphere. Plus, you can follow it from afar in a way that you yeah. can't follow Barclays, Super obviously. Super easy to follow, yeah. Right? Because they do a great job with... 
automated timing, updating on the web, and it updates yeah. pretty quickly. It was so, really good, really, yeah. really good updates. So last year, as you mentioned, a really good write-up in Trail Runner. There were a couple of really good stories that came out of that that really epic battle during which I think Guillaume won with 245 miles. And the field coming in for this year, I think even just looking at the field, you had a sense that that record was, oh, yeah, was, was going down. Absolutely stacked. So some of the people just off the top of my head, because I don't have the start list in front of me, but you had Guillaume was coming back. Yep. Harvey came back, although Harvey is still still kind of recovering from his really very impressive run on the AT this summer, where I think he had the fourth or fifth fastest, maybe not that fast, but somewhere in the top 10 in terms of the fastest traverses of the uh, Appalachian Trail. So he is not back to his usual self yet, but he did come and run a couple of laps. Uh, Guillaume, as we said, Johann Steen, the former record holder who we talked about briefly earlier. Joe Fegis, the U.S. six-day record holder and world 72-hour record holder, I believe, was there. Greg Salveson, who is a very accomplished multi-day racer from California. Maggie Guterell yep. from Pennsylvania, who has been a, a real stalwart at some very, very difficult long trail races. And then, of course, Courtney Dawalter, who has just lit the ultra world on fire all year yeah. long and uh, has success at distances well beyond 100 miles, yep. was the defending Moab 200, or not defending because she didn't defend, but she won the Moab 200 outright last yeah. year, to Moab 240. And broke the record by, you know, like I don't know, 10 hours or 15 hours or something crazy. Yep. And earlier this year, among her many accomplishments, broke the course record at the Bigfoot 200 as well. Yep. Almost winning that outright. We'll get to that, I'm sure. Yeah, so, what a field. It was, it was a really very impressive field. You kind of knew that, that the record was probably in jeopardy, but I don't know if any of us expected quite what we saw in terms of how many people were in it for quite that long. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, you guys had a little bet going about the 63-hour mark, right? <laughs> was it going to get to 63 hours? I was like, I don't know if it's going to get that far. I mean, that's... Well, we made that bet fairly late. That was Brian and I had the over, and yeah. Glenn Redpath had the under on 63 hours. Right. Glenn, just if you're listening, stop betting on ultras. You're, you have a terrible track record. You, you, you're going to owe us your weight in beer by the time this is over. Please stop. But it was, <laughs> it was, I mean, we got past the, we got past the 36 hour, you know, 150, 170 mile mark. And there were still, you know, almost 10 people left in it. Yeah, it was, it was a, you know, very, very solid field. The name that I had picked out about, I don't know, 24 or 30 hours in was David Johnston mm-hmm. from Alaska, yep. who has won the uh, Iditarod Invitational a couple yeah. of times. And I thought... I thought if there's somebody who's going to kind of pull the upset, that was him. And I, I thought he had a really good chance. And he, he ran very, very well, ultimately placing seventh, I believe. Yeah. I mean, I think you mentioned Johan Steen as well at one point, saying sure. you thought he would have a good chance. Because when I was looking at the results, I was like, ah, oh, Jay definitely mentioned this guy. So Johan's interesting because he's got, I mean, he he's clearly built for this sort of thing. When you look yeah. at his ultrasound, I mean, he's a, a 24-hour uh, national team member for Sweden as well. Right but really has seen the majority of his success looking back at his results at these really long distances. Oh, yeah. when, when you look at his results for hundreds, I mean, he's kind of just getting warmed up. Yeah, It looks like he's, he's in like the 30 to 50 kind of range on these, a lot of these hundreds. For a, for a big hundred place-wise, yeah. right, right. And, but, and you, know, you know, he's not even probably warmed up by the time he gets to the <laughs> finish line. Right, but when you get into the longer stuff, I mean, he's got top 10 results from like yeah. Tour de Jeans and, and... probably training runs. 
I mean, he, the he runs 100 as a training one. Certainly could be the, the way that, that he seemed to approach this. But it, it was, like you said, I, I, couldn't, I, I almost crashed the car twice yeah. during the day, just hitting the refresh button because I knew we were coming right. up on the you know, 40 minutes yeah. past the hour. Yeah. It was terrifying. You just had to know, right? You really had to know <laughs> every time. It was captivating. Yeah, especially as people got closer and closer. You know, someone would come in at like 56 minutes, you mm-hmm. know, two, two people that weren't back. I mean, I'm thinking next year we have a halfway split. You know, so you get an update oh, when they go through halfway, and we have a webcam. <laughs> I mean, imagine that, pay-per-view webcam. So Courtney and Maggie seem to be running together. I mean, yeah. most of their lap splits were within a few seconds of each other. I mean, they clearly yeah. seem to be working together. Uh, some some of the guys were throwing down some faster laps here and there. I think Joe Fijis actually had the fastest lap of the day. He had one lap where he was down at like 37 minutes, I think. Really? Wow. Which he later said, I think I saw him post, he, he said that was a mistake. Uh, it, that it's he a, went that fast, or it was a timing mistake? No, that that he went that fast. Oh, he, right. he regretted that because that, yeah, it's that would clearly, take something out of you. Yeah, it's clearly a balancing act between how fast you finish it and you know trying to maximize the amount of time and recovery that you might be yeah. able to have versus what is that going to take out of you. And as it got later in the day, and we were down to like the last five or six people, it looked to me like the people, the folks with the narrowest gap between their fastest lap and their slowest lap were the ones right. who were obviously the most, I mean, consistent. the most consistent by definition yeah. and and the ones who just seemed to be ticking them and courtney mm. fell into that totally yeah. i mean she she had like an eight minute spread between her yeah. fastest and her slowest and her slowest lap for almost the entire race was only 52 minutes whereas yeah. everyone else was throwing in at least here and there a 55 a 56 yep. a 57 yeah uh and kind of getting that in under the wire and Courtney, she didn't really have any real fast laps. She didn't no. push anything down to like 41 or, or anything like that and try and steal a couple extra minutes of rest. And yeah, it's just you wonder what is the best strategy. I mean, I guess it, it varies for everybody. And, yeah. and also, like, how fast can you fall asleep and get a couple of minutes yeah. of sleep there? Because, you know, we were talking when it did look like they were going to hit. I mean, it's when we went to bed on whenever it was Monday, I guess, uh, and they were in the mid 60s or the, the early 60s in terms of hours. I mean, at that point, they were on the road, which clearly was easier. All their faster yeah, laps were coming on the road. Quicker. And I thought for sure they were going to 72 hours at that point yeah. because they they just seemed like, especially yeah. Courtney and Johan, seemed like they were just clicking them on off. the road, right? Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, I mean just, you know, just shuffling, really. Just be half asleep and do it. Yeah. It seemed like they could certainly do that. And, you know, so it seemed like they were going to hit the 300-mile mark and I was saying, I mean, this is harder than running 300 miles if you were oh, running yeah. a 72-hour race. In a 72-hour race, you can sleep for an hour. You can yeah. sleep for 45 minutes or yep. whatever, and you can bank 140 miles on the first I mean, day. What can you get here? Maybe seven minutes <laughs> right. max? You know, if you've got to get back to the start Because you, you, you have to be you back know. at the start. Yeah. Uh, so it really is just, it, it's a devilishly clever really um, yeah. way to suffer. Uh, you got to hand it to Laz for for coming up with that because it really does just, it seems like it would be obviously, I mean, as with anything in our sport, just the ultimate mind game to just convince yourself, convince yourself to keep going out there to try and play mind games with somebody else that you need to look strong so that they, you know. Oh, totally. And you've got to, you know, be up, ready to go. You've got to try and, you know, not be too slow on your laps. People see you struggling. I mean, there was one point, late in the day where it was 
the the three of them were left. It was Johan, Courtney, and um, who came in third? Um, was it uh, Gavin Woody? Yes. And wh- where it was just like Gavin was running. I mean, Johan and Courtney at that point were just running together, it seemed like. And Gavin was finishing each lap like four mi- four minutes behind. Yeah. And still finishing them with time to spare, yeah. but it, you just had to... The writing it, was on the wall, basically. Right. And, 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 I mean, the fact that he was able to keep going when... I mean, he had to look over at these two world-class athletes and just be like... And Gavin's no slouch himself. He's got the top Hunger tens at... running, man. He's got top tens at, at uh, many of the uh, yeah. the 200s yep. in the U.S. Yeah, he's a long-distance guy. Yeah, but it, it had to enter his mind that there's no way I'm going to win this thing. And yeah. yet he kept just going and going and going. It was it was really yeah. very incredible. And uh, for a while, it just seemed like they weren't going to stop. Uh, but ultimately, Courtney did give in on lap 69, I believe. And is that right? 67. 67. I think Johan is 68 laps. 68 laps. So uh, just, just four hours short of that magical 72-hour, 300-mile yeah. barrier. Just a two, uh, I mean... Multiple unbelievable performances from everyone in the top three, and really uh, everyone in the top five to ten was just amazing. I think we had five five athletes break the old, or no, uh, we had five athletes break the two hundred and four mile barrier that that Johan had set in twenty fourteen, and and obviously three people go further than uh, Guillaume and Harvey went last year. Yeah, I mean it, it's exciting. I mean, you know, Laz is putting on some amazing events now. You know, I mean, Barkley Marathon, Barkley Fall Classic. Big's backyard. I mean, and you know, he also ran across America himself. I mean, right, right. Definitely making some noise in the ultra world. I mean, this really captured my imagination like very few things have this year. Yeah, agreed. Same. And and again, I think partly that's because of how easy it was to follow. I mean, it was it, it was just like following UTMB, just because you had all these updates. Yeah. You were constantly, like you said, refreshing the the browser, and it was it was just amazing to follow and just knowing what it took because again they're not running that fast it's it's a it's a a conceivable task right it's not like looking at Killian running off in the mountains and and just these guys are just doing otherworldly things you know running they're they're running 13 14 15 minute miles not 15 12 13 14 minute miles you can do that we can all do that you, we can all run 12-minute miles on, yep. on a flat four-mile course. It's just just knowing how difficult that is mentally to just keep doing that over and over. Just Oh, yeah. I mean, the whole, the whole mind game. I mean, let's say you run like a 50-minute. You know, Someone comes in behind you with a 56. I mean, then your mind starts saying, did I run too fast? Right. I felt great, but did I run too fast? I mean, why did they run a 56? You know, what's that, what's right. that what do they know worth? that I don't? Yeah. Exactly. You know, maybe, maybe they, they know something here. Yeah, I mean, just mentally. I mean, this thing is it's just, you know, next-level you know, mental strength. Harder than Barclays, do we think? It's, just it's different, it's right? Different, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm I, still thinking about the comparison. I'm still trying to, you know, it's weigh a, it mean, up in my mind. But it's, it's, it's longer. certainly extremely hard, yeah. It's I mean, longer time-wise. It's longer yeah. distance-wise. I mean, it's longer time-wise now. That That's the first time that anyone's yeah. gone that far, obviously. But, I mean, I think clearly, like, look, three-day, six-day races, that's nothing new. Those have been around for a long time. But, People get to bank sleep. Yeah, you know. given the format, yeah. this this I'd I'd much rather do a, a seventy two hour race than I mean, not that I'd rather do one, but 
you know, I, I think a, just a straight 72-hour race is much easier than this format. Yeah. Well, maybe some of these uh, Pigs Backyard runners will be at Barclay this year, next year, sorry, and we'll find out. So what do you think about that? I mean, look, we've, we've kind of adjudicated Barkley a little bit on this show, and I'm sure we'll do the same next year when Barkley comes up again. You know my position on this. I'm a little bit Barkleyed out. It's, it's not a race that particularly appeals to me from a runnering, runner's standpoint. And I enjoy the spectacle of it, I guess, but I, I, I don't love how it's been placed up on a pedestal and how it's kind of become shorthand for people outside of our sport for, you know, oh, you create those crazy ultra runners. I mean, it's, it's very different from, I think, what I'm attracted to in the sport and the fact that it's kind of held up as this representative of our sport to people on the outside. I I don't love it. I mean, I'm, you know, it doesn't upset me that much, but it's, it's just, it leaves a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. And, and from my perspective, I don't want to see the, the best runners in the world going to Barkley. I don't care that much. I'd rather see them racing, you know, bigger races that I personally care about. But I know that that's not necessarily a popular opinion to have. Yeah, I think I think the group of runners that do these, you know, the, the, the last man standing type race uh, and the Barkley are the kind of runner that just really, they're not too worried about what's going on around them. They want to challenge themselves. I really think that Courtney's mentality is, how, you know, where are her limits? What, you know, can she find? How hard can she push? How right. far can she go? Whereas, you know, some of the, the sort of speedier guys, you know, like Killian, Jim, they're all about A to B fast. Right. You know, I think Courtney's about wh- where's my limit? Where do I break? Right. Um, and Guillaume as well. And like these, you know, these other Johan. I think these, this is a different a subset of ultra runner that really wants to see, you know, where their breaking points are, what are they capable of. Right. And they're, you know, the the, the air of attraction to them is, um, you know, these races, very few finishes to them. I want to be part of this elite group of people that has finished and and won these races. Right. I I think, you know, it's this subset. Right. So, I mean, I know Maggie was at Barkley last year, finished one lap, I believe. Yeah. And I, maybe she's going back. I don't know. The fact that she was able, she, I mean, and Maggie's obviously a very talented runner. I believe a, a 24-hour national team member as well. 183 miles last weekend at Biggs. Uh, same as, as Joe Fegis, uh, both coming in for a, a tied sixth. I mean, she was able to do one lap, basically, at Barkley. I think last year at Barkley was a, an exceptional year, maybe. Um, you know, just the weather conditions. I think it was so hard there. I think uh, and it, they'll need an, another year, a better year to kind of give it an, another crack, uh, learn a little bit something about the race. I, you know, I think she'll be back, and I think it'll be interesting to see what she does. I mean, I've no doubt she'll get a fun running. And the list of women who have completed a fun run is... Pretty small. I, I mean, I'm not a Barclays expert. I can think of one name off Beverly. the top of my head is Beverly. Yeah. And I think that's I, that might be the whole list. <laughs> I think that is possibly the list. I'm not sure. But. So even that would be obviously a great accomplishment. Uh, obviously, no no female has ever finished at Barkley. You know, Courtney obviously after this performance and and like we said, her her previous 200 mile performances and everything else, I think has certainly kind of stirred that debate of could she or will she be the first. I don't with with the success that she's had in kind of all these other races this year I don't want I don't want to see her get kind of swept up in the Barclays thing at least not yet 
If that's a goal for her in the future, fine. From a fan's perspective, I want to see her continue to challenge herself at UTMB or Western States or any of these other, you know, Run Rabbit or, or any of these other big races. And I, and I want to see her on the track, too. I mean, she's the American record holder at 24 hours. I want to see her win a world championship. I want to see her maybe do a, a three-day or a six-day. I would love to see that. I, I, I would be much more excited about any of those things than I would to see her at Barclays. Not saying that her finishing Barclays would not be a huge moment in the sport, but, um, it, and, you know, she's still young. Maybe that's a few years in the future. I just hope it's in the future and not this coming year because, you know, we've seen what that race can do to people sometimes. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, there's also a moment when you're hot, you're hot, you know? I mean, try it. Right. You know, why wait? Who knows what the future holds? You just never know. It's a really and good we, point. She can, she can win these races A to B, Western States, you know, plenty of other races she's won. This is something that I think in her personality, we talk about testing her limits, seeing what she has. This is going to be a great example of testing those limits. Yeah, I, I know. Yourself, and, and, I, you know? And, and I know that she, she can, I mean, obviously she can win whatever race she wants, I guess I just want to see her keep doing that. I, I'm, you know, I, but again, I, I think I'm in the minority in my my Barkley kind of opinion. But look, you got to hand it to Laz. The guy has, you know, really captured the imagination of the ultra world on Absolutely, multiple occasions yeah. now. And, you know, while I have, like I've said many times, no interest in Barkley's as an athlete, uh, Biggs is something that I think I would love, love to do. There you go. He caters for everyone now. You know, you're not a Barclay guy, but a Biggs Backyard guy. There yeah. you go. Yeah. I mean, following it, like every hour that went by last weekend it was just more. And I was just like, oh, God, I yeah. wish I could do that. That would be so great. Well, you know, Brian and I are there for you, for crew, you know. Until you're too drunk to stand up anymore. Each, but, you know, we'll be there for, I think we'll last 48, 48 hours. 48 hours probably, or so. so? Yeah. Definitely maybe Brian. Maybe drinking shifts. Yeah. <laughs> probably the best thing. <laughs> Um, the other race that uh, Laz puts on that is really interesting is the Run for the Ages. Have you heard of Run for the Ages? I don't know about that race. It's, a, it's another timed event. The way it works, though, it's not a set time. It's however old you are, however many years you are, uh, your age, that's how many hours you get. And so it's a timed race in which you know people are running for different amounts of time. Right. So obviously, if you're, you know, you're, you're 50 now... You would be Me? able with oh, 50. Yeah, sorry. You're yeah. 50. You would be able to run for 50 hours. I would right. be able to run for 43 hours. So right. is the advantage that I get for being younger enough to overcome the fact that you have seven more hours on me? Right. I like so it. and so you actually so wind up with how far you can run in the time of your age. Exactly right. Wow. So the winners are usually in their late 50s or early 60s, just right. guys, guys and, and, and women who are still getting it done. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's just a really fun concept. And also that's mentally quite hard as well. Of course. You're like, well, you know, Phil can run quite fast. I'm probably faster. He's got seven <laughs> more hours. I mean, I better go hard. Right. Right. The strategy that plays in for that. I mean, it's just I'll adding just another layer to it. And in 40 hours, you'll just be like, <laughs> I'm out. I'm not even going to do the next three hours. So kudos to Laz. Not that he needs our congratulations, yeah. but uh, cool. he's, he's figured another it great out race. down there. So, yeah, that's, I mean, look, as we said, nothing has really kind of captured our, our imagination quite like that in the last several months. But what else has been going on that we wanted to touch on briefly before we... Well, I think we're going to have to talk about Jim Sweeney, right? Hand up him 100. We do have to talk about Jim. And I know you had a very, very good interview with him. Jim, that was a really, ago. yeah, that was 
uh, a really it was great that he came down and and took the time to talk uh, down here in person, which was really fun, and brought some good beer down from Westkill. Yeah. Look, I've known Jim for a long time. I've known Jim for uh, about ten years now, and we've trained together a little bit when we can kind of get together. Uh, very very talented runner, super nice guy. I really. You know, he, he's again, he's very talented. And we went over this. If you if you haven't heard the, the episode, please go back and listen, because it was it was really, I think, insightful in terms of the kind of training that he does to prepare for um, that sort of thing and, and how his training has changed over the years. Because yeah. Jim's a, he's a young guy. He's, I think, 37 or 38. But he's been in this the the uh, high levels of ultra running for over a decade already. Yep. He had he has a top 10. Or sorry, he has finished second at JFK uh, when he was in his 20s and has multiple top 10 finishes there. He's got top 10 finishes at multiple hundreds, including uh, a second place at Vermont 100. He's had multiple top fives at Umstead. So he's, he's been doing this for a really long time. And I think he's what that interview kind of showed me is kind of how much he continues to evolve in terms of his training and, and you know, just learn about himself in the sport, which was really interesting. But yeah. So like I said, I've known Jim for a, a long time, and I, I've you know obviously known his talent and known what he was, or I thought I knew what he was capable of. I never would have said that he was capable of a 1309, um, so which fast, is yeah. one of the 15 or 20 fastest American times ever for 100 yeah. miles, and, and, and almost even split. I mean, he went like 630, 640 or yeah. something like that. Yep. It was really just outstanding stuff mostly solo for the last 60 miles basically and just you know fastest time in the world this year and and we'll see if it holds up it it very well might yeah and just listening to his training programming he runs some some long runs i mean 30 Mm -hmm. 35 milers and fast as well i mean dropping sub six minute miles towards the end of some of these long runs yep yeah really fast stuff and i think like many of the other top runners and we've talked about the Coconino Cowboys and how they train with yeah. a lot of fast track work and stuff like that. And he does the same kind of thing. His mileage is not terribly out of the ordinary. I think he probably averages, you know, 70 to 80 miles a week or so. Yeah. He, I don't, I, he tops out at maybe a hundred. I don't know yeah. if he even gets up quite that high. But yeah. 70 to 80 seem like his kind of, but he's putting in a lot of hard interval work with sh- guys who run shorter trail races and, and even road races. Yep. They do a lot of, tempo road running a lot of uh you know kind of basic track intervals and i think the more that you kind of talk to the top guys you realize that this is what they're all doing is that you know you you really you need to work those other systems you need to really be training your your vo2 max and everything else to be able to compete at that kind of level yeah yeah that was very informative and and, you know very fast run i mean remains to be seen if it's uh it can be beaten this year yeah you know there's the the kind of late fall Early winter is is a time when we've traditionally, in the last few years, seen a lot of the fast uh, hundreds be run on on some of these flat courses. Ghost Train was last weekend. We saw another fast 100 run there in 1329, I believe, by yeah. Alexander Jinks, a yeah. course record there, breaking Patrick Karen's course record. But again, still 20 minutes off of Jim's time. Yeah. You know, we'll have a couple more opportunities. Brazos Bend is one where there's always yeah. a couple of fast attempts there. Uh, Desert Solstice, if somebody, you know, decides to go Trek. for yeah. the 100 mile instead of the 24 hour, um, you could definitely see some fast times there. And Tunnel Hill always produces some fast times. I remember uh, last year. Yeah. And there, right. <laughs> for sure. We saw a world record there last yeah. year. And the year before uh, we saw a, a sub 13 hour 
yeah. uh, 100 as well. Yeah, so we so. still got those to come, so let's see what happens. But it's pretty pretty stout time, 1309. Very, very impressive. And uh, a PR by uh, just about an hour for Jim. So, And, and he's, I mean, he's had quite a year and between that and... Uh, course right breaking his own course record at Twisted Branch, which yep. has turned up uh, turned into kind of a nice little hundred k. Yeah, yeah, it looks looks really good uh, with some decent competition there, yep. and second place at Umstead earlier this year behind Olivier LeBlanc uh, in again in in uh, low fourteens running there. Really, really good year, and yeah, uh, may get some may get some ultra of the year votes yeah. there. Speaking of Olivier, yeah. Um, North Coast 24-hour. Pretty nice run there, right? Yep. 160.49 miles. Yes. Olivia winning his second or third U.S. championship at 24 hours to go along with his uh, national 48-hour record that he set last year of 262 miles, which is, that's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. That's that's up there. But 161 miles, and and that, again, was was basically solo. I mean, you're on a a looped... Obviously, yeah. one mile loop or just short of a mile loop, so you're going to see people. But he was not challenged. Uh, he had, I, I think, he won by about 30 miles, actually. Right. Okay. So really, a, a, another great year from him, and he'll be as the national champ and uh, the the list leader. He'll be going to the world championships next year. Megan Alvarado breaking the 140 barrier, yeah. winning her national championship. Good for her, and she'll be going to to worlds as well for I think the second time. Th- those teams are going to be good. Those yeah. teams are going to be pretty yeah. stout, and and we'll see who might add their names to that, those lists at Desert Solstice because I think there will be some some definite fireworks going on there. But again, two two fairly unchallenged victories there, yeah, uh, great, and and they were the only two to hit the standard the twenty uh, four hour world standard for the men or the women. So congratulations to those guys. What else you got? Uh, Run Rabbit. Oh uh, yeah, hundred miler. I mean, I was super impressed with Michelle Yates. She was at Bandera in January, and I think I overtook her with about 10 miles to go, and she looked like she was really struggling, like l- some leg pain, just mm-hmm. something wasn't wasn't right. And, uh, you know, she I saw her finish in the end, and, you know, I was amazed that she really gutted it out. She's obviously so tough. Yes. Uh, and then to win uh, Run Rabbit, you know, having to recover from the injury right. that she had. I think it was a hip injury that she had. So she had a hip thing that was bothering very, her last year and seemed like it might I don't want to say end her career, but to hear her talk, I think yeah. she she would have said that's not wholly inaccurate. And I, I spoke to her briefly when when we went by each other at Bandera, and mm. she was she was like, "I'm hurting, but I'm grateful that I'm moving." Yeah. It was basically what she said, yep. and you know, gutted out a very tough second place finish there. Uh, yeah, albeit over an hour behind Camille, turned down her turned down her golden ticket States. because it didn't sound like she was to me. Just talking very briefly to her there, and then hearing interviews after. I, I kind of thought she was done with hundred mile road race or uh, running races, right? Yeah. And you know, following her because we're members of the Goo team together. Following her online, she's basically just mountain bike racing, doing quite yeah. well at it. Right. But I didn't see much running racing from her other than some short ten k half marathon type stuff on the trails. And then to come back and and really blast the field at Run Rabbit yeah. is fantastic, and that's no easy course. Yeah, I mean, looking at uh, her and Rob Carr, it looks like mountain bike training is the way forward. <laughs> you know, maybe there's a secret there that we should be uh, should have our mountain bikes out. Well, that's interesting because we could take the training wheels off yours. If you want. <laughs> uh, that that's very. I mean, that's interesting. In the last few years, and probably spurred by Killian and everything else, 
we've seen this concept of really taking an extended off season or extended break yeah. for a lot of the top guys, be it schemo or biking or something like that has become m- much more common, it I has. think. And, yep. uh, you know, I wonder if this is how people are going to prolong their careers and, and kind of maintain fitness, you know, it, right. Yeah, I if, think people if, want if, longevity as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's a fun sport and, you know, I mean, you get injuries and they suck. I mean, right. have a, have a good off season. But look, if, if, if these guys are going to be able to maintain fitness like this, you know, certainly we've seen it with this. I mean, Rob has had success with the schemo, Max King yeah. and, and a bunch of other guys and people crossing over from that world, even primarily and coming to, to trail running, you know, have certainly had no ill effects there. If we're going to be able to yep. see people kind of just mountain bike all summer and then jump into hundreds and crush people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this <laughs> Incredible, is incredible, right? You know, this is I mean, this is maybe the way that people start avoiding burnout and, you know, we start to lengthen careers. And I mean, I think everyone would agree that would be a great thing if that happened. Jason Schlarb on the men's side, winning Run Rabbit for, I think, the third time. Really great to see because, you know, he's he he, I think sometimes we forget about him a little bit because he doesn't race domestically so much. And he's off a lot of times adventuring. And I mean, look, uh, what I wouldn't trade for that guy's life. He seems to have it figured out. But, you know, he runs a lot of really cool looking but slightly lower profile races overseas has had Agreed. a ton of success, obviously, in big races as well. He's been top five at UTMB and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I, th- I think we forget about him a little bit, especially in the heat of the summer when, you know, we're all fired up for Leadville and for Western States and, and Lake Sonoma and all this other stuff. But just a guy who loves the big mountains. And I think we, we don't give him quite enough credit for being one of the top U.S. mountain runners, like long distance mountain runners that really you know, on par with Tollefson and some of these guys at, at yeah. the long, big mountain stuff. So good to see him have yeah, success there. It doesn't seem there. like he has the kind of um, media profile all year round that a lot of these guys have. He just kind of pops up, wins a race, or does really well at a race, and then right. goes back to his adventuring, and he services up, and he's done something really cool. Yeah, seems seems like he's got it figured out, you know? Yeah, and it's interesting because he's got the same kind of profile. I guess he's a little bit older than Jim and those guys, but he's got a similar kind of background in terms of having that leg speed and having that collegiate track background. I mean, he was a, like, I, I believe he was a sub 350, 1500 runner in right, college. Okay. And, you know, certainly has the, you would think has the wheels and the ability to do well at, you know, a flatter, faster or, or some shorter ultra distance races, yeah. but really just seems to enjoy just these long, hard days in the mountains. And even, yeah. even the shorter yeah. races he does all have generally huge vert and seem very, very technical. And, and yep, he he's, like, he's found his niche. Yeah. yeah. So that was good to see him there. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see what he's got planned for next year, because if he's informed, that's, that's always exciting to have him around. Uh, Grindstone on the East Coast. Michael Owen. Nice, uh, nice win there. Good to Just see him. 20 hours and then uh, Shannon Howell for the women, 22 hours. Good to Course see. Course record. Yeah. Mike running. I mean, 20 hours there is, that's very, very yeah, good. good. And yep. You know, Mike's had a very good year also with a top 20 at Western States. And, uh, you know, he's another guy who I think is pretty versatile. And I like seeing his success because he's he's super, super good guy. And uh, the Cat's Tail Trail Marathon locally. Cat's Tail Marathon was there. And uh, Aaron Stredney winning that, 445. And then uh, Amelia Kaufman winning the women's uh, uh, race. Good, uh, good, de- good stuff, and uh, a nice day for it for once as well. A little wet on the trails, but actually sunny and beautiful views. So yeah, was, you uh, were up there. Cool. Yeah, I went up. There. It was uh, was good. Was the footing terrible? 
That wasn't too bad. I mean, there were sort of a few streams running, but uh, in generally, it was pretty dry sort of on top of the rocks. You know, it wasn't quite as mossy and slippery as it, mm-hmm. as it can get up there. But uh, yeah, it was it was good. Well, that's always one where you're kind of taking your life in your own hands, right? I mean, David yeah. Kilgore will tell you about that. Yeah, true. Got a, <laughs> a piece of wood straight in his head, which wasn't good. No, that was a couple of years back, I guess, where he kind of cracked his head open and still finished. Yeah, still that was, that was tied for the win. That was, that and, was, you know, I mean, I have to uh, give the RDs, uh, Mike and Charlie, big kudos for the uh, beer and uh, Chipotle and pizza after the race. I don't think there's any post-race spread that comes even close to that oh that sounds so, pretty uh, good thank you guys that sounds pretty good anything else uh Dagnof de Fou. we had uh, francois de Hain and uh, benoit girondel tying for the win there so it's, uh, it's been a while since we've had a tie at a, at a big ultra yeah yeah uh, so i thought that was kind of cool jocelyn pooley for the women winning so francois bear. i guess skip utmb obviously yeah, as the defending took, champ. yeah took, uh, uh, but clearly was fit and healthy so yeah I don't know uh, what was the thinking there. I mean, that yeah, was sure. a great race, but anyway, yep. And uh, yeah, wrapping up the Skyrunning series and the uh, Golden Trail series, which I didn't quite get the point of, I guess. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of races in that series now. Yeah, we'll have to, I guess we'll maybe if Just they... a little bit of homework on it. If, right, I was going to say, if they, if they keep that thing going, we'll do a deep dive into that next year, I guess. Uh, it just seemed... I don't know. I, 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 by the time I kind of was aware that it was going on, it was over. So it was a little bit weird. But some, some really good uh, U.S. finishes in the Skyrunning series this year as well. And we talked about that a lot on the last episode. You can go back and, and listen to some of that stuff and our thoughts about that. So that's good to see. And I think we'll, as we said, continue to see that moving forward as, as our, I think U.S. runners continue to spend more and more time, especially chunks of time over in Europe during the summers, and now that some of these guys have guys and gals have shown that they can have sustained success over there, we're going to see more and more, especially also because the sponsors seem to be interested in it and people can still build a profile yep. even racing overseas in some of these races. So that's fun to see as well. All right. I think that's probably all we've got for... Yeah, just one last, the Bear, Caitlin Gerben course record, 2045. Oh, that I missed that one. Pretty good. 2045 yeah. at the bear. 2045. Uh, Tyler Fox won on the men's side, 1953. Caitlin Gerben was uh, about 15 minutes under the previous record. So I thought that was impressive. I know that's a tough course out there. And then one other thing we did want to mention, actually, Courtney, before going to Biggs, was at uh, the Tahoe 200. Yeah, just a little 200 miler, just a warm up for Biggs. Right, exactly. And in, again, was basically off the front all day yeah. and, and had the yeah. overall lead for 90 or for I'm going to say 190 miles or so About 190 miles I think she had a pretty tough time there to start with didn't feel good couldn't really hold any food down kind of got it back and I, I heard that she was kind of napping for an hour at a time and woke up and just didn't feel good and then she got into these like five minute naps and mm-hmm. she felt much better after a five minute nap so maybe this helped out a bigs you know Right, just learning how to yeah. kind of manage that, and then uh, ultimately gave up the lead very late yeah. for the for About the overall. Ten miles win. To go, I think the overall lead, yeah. But um, still, obviously, hung on for the women's win yeah. very easily. Both men and women setting the course records there, so that was that was fun. And and Moab recently this this last couple of weeks went down as well. Yeah. Um, any interesting performances there? Um, the. Um, the winner was uh, Peter Herzog, I think, 60 hours. Pretty pretty solid. 60 pretty hours, solid I mean, for 240 miles. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's pretty strong. So coming up, as we said, we've we're gonna have some of the kind of big end of the season races. Uh, I guess the next big one that I'm looking forward to is Javelina, which is next week. Yeah, that should be great. You know, we could see some fast times there. I have not seen a start list, so we'll see what goes down there. Then JFK, obviously, North Face, that's a big weekend uh, that we'll always look forward to. I don't think we'll do a preview show. We'll probably do a a recap show after that weekend, Uh, maybe preview Desert Solstice when we see a start list there and uh, Brazos Bend. I think the next time we do this, maybe we'll do it on Lottery Saturday. Oh, I'm scared already. Yeah, I'm quaking. <laughs> Lottery Saturday. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Well, I mean, because what I think I'd like to do, we, we can do it as we're following the lottery. We can kind sounds of uh, heckle the people who are getting in Yeah. and uh, drink our sorrows away. But also we can have a little discussion maybe about the lottery culture and just the where ultra running is going with some of these big high profile races. Might be an interesting way to pass sounds the time good. as we don't get into Western states. Or hard, or hard rock. For <laughs> We've got now. many years to discuss before we get in. <laughs> so, so you can all look forward to that. Uh, Phil, thank you very much for coming by. And thank you to everybody always. for joining us tonight. Until next time in the pain cave, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Broken down and beaten up. The years have been long and tough, but I'm not dead. Happy now just to spend some time with friends and have a I'm not jaded, just been faded Like a good old pair of jeans Rusted like a proud old car That's drove a little too far And seen too much rain But long ago, as a child I look about the night sky In the wonderment And ride the bus and feel upset To think of all the years I'd have to go I was still young And I was still